0: As we continue our year-long exploration of the original disciples' experience of knowing Jesus, we arrive in this episode at the place where many of us probably started—the cross. Because oftentimes, in our both Western and American view of Christianity and evangelism, we begin with theological information rather sometimes than the personality behind said theological information. In essence, we want people to accept the work of the cross while sometimes forgetting to make sure they know the man on the cross. For the disciples, it was not this way. It was their friend, their master who died for them when they spoke about the finished work of the cross, it was Jesus who was emphasized as the personal reconciler of God and man. The cross was not a link in the chain of some systematic theology. It was the personal crux of both their personal spiritual history and the history of the world. So in this episode... I want to break apart a text from 2 Corinthians, it's in 2 Corinthians 5, all about the cross. And then I want to make its teaching deeply visceral for you. Frankly, I want to make it hard for you to not see every person you meet as a potential receiver of the glory of the good news of the cross. So right now I want you to listen to 2 Corinthians 5, 14-21, and then we'll talk about it a little. Here it is in its entirety. The very spring of our actions is the love of Christ. We look at it like this. If one died for all men, then in a sense, they all died. And his purpose in dying for them is that their lives should now be no longer lived for themselves, but for him who died and rose again for them. This means that our knowledge of men can no longer be based on their outward lives. Indeed, even though we knew Christ as a man, we do not know him like that any longer. For if a man is in Christ, he becomes a new person altogether. The past is finished and gone. Everything has become fresh and new. All this is God's doing for he has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ, and he has made us agents of the reconciliation. God was in Christ personally reconciling the world to himself, not counting their sins against them, and has commissioned us with the message of reconciliation. We are now Christ's ambassadors, as though God were appealing direct to you through us, As his personal representatives, we say, make your peace with God. For God caused Christ, who himself knew nothing of sin, actually to be sin for our sakes, so that in Christ we might be made good with the goodness of God. All right, let's begin back at the beginning with a few thoughts, and then, like I said, we're going to make it very real, very personal at the end. So let's begin back at the beginning there in verse 14. The very spring of our actions is the love of Christ. And here's why I started at this somewhat random midpoint of 2 Corinthians 5, because In light of what we're going to be talking about over the next five weeks, the cross and the magnificent love of Jesus for us, if love is not the spring of our actions, the compelling force from within our inner life, then friends, we have not begun to begin. We have somehow espoused a a counterfeit Christianity. After all, look at the ending of this section. For God caused Christ, who himself knew nothing of sin, actually to be sin for our sakes, so that in Christ we might be made good with the goodness of God. You see, he took our filth, we get his goodness. He took us, we get him. And what is his essence? What is the animating force behind the work of the cross? Love the very spring of our actions is the love of Christ. He goes on. We look at it like this. If one died for all men, then, in a sense, they all died. And his purpose in dying for them is that their lives should now no longer be lived for themselves, but for him who died and rose again for them. This is what I really want you to hear in this episode, right here. Do you understand that Jesus died for everyone? Not just for, quote, Christians. And that in so dying, he put to death, death for everyone? And did you know that our way of experiencing the cross, of accepting it, is by our individual ongoing act of exchange, life for life. Jesus died for all, and all may believe. The work of his life and death was for everyone, and the work of our lives is to make everyone aware. How? We'll keep listening. This means that our knowledge of men can no longer be based on their outward lives. Indeed, even though we knew Christ as a man, we do not know him like that any longer. In other words, the most glorious view we can take of our fellow man is the true view that they are one for whom Jesus died and toward whom he is even yet opening the door. That is how we should meet every person we meet. C.S. Lewis once said this, and I think it's of the exact same viewpoint. Listen, this is from The Weight of Glory. He said, It is in the light of these overwhelming possibilities, it is with the awe and the circumspection proper to them, that we should conduct all of our dealings with one another, all friendships, all loves, all play, all politics. There are no ordinary people you have never talked to a mere mortal. Nations, cultures, arts, civilizations, these are mortal, and their life is to ours as the life of a gnat. But it is immortals whom we joke with, work with, marry, snub, and exploit. Friends, Every person you meet is someone for whom Jesus was willing to die. Which begs a question. How will someone, not yet knowing Jesus, actually experience meeting us? Well, I sure hope that it's something like this. For if a man is in Christ, he becomes a new person altogether. The past is finished and gone. Everything has become fresh and new. All this is God's doing, for he has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ, and he has made us agents of the reconciliation. Friends, if we believe what we say we believe about the cross of Jesus, then who are we? Not doing life on our own, not just a better version of our old selves not still mired in our old brokennesses, not in any way old, not striving religiously to right ourselves, not minding our business and just doing our own thing. Oh no, we are none of that. What are we in fact? We are in Christ, new, not who we used to be, done with our past, fresh and new, set free by God himself, reconciled personally by Jesus, And we've been given an eternal job to do, extending that reconciliation as far as we personally can. So what are the limits Jesus has set on our agency as reconcilers? Well, I would say it's the same as he set on his work on the cross, i.e. none. He died for all. We are called to get to all. Let's keep going. God was in Christ personally reconciling the world to himself, not counting their sins against them, and has commissioned us with the message of reconciliation. And what is that message of reconciliation? Well, He just told us. God was in Christ personally reconciling the world to himself, not counting their sins against them. The message is, Jesus has already set you free. He's not mad at you. Come home. In essence, every human being is on the cusp of being the freest person in the universe. That's our message. And it's supposed to be the way our lives feel to others. In fact, I want you to listen to our job description as he goes on. We are now Christ's ambassadors, as though God were appealing direct to you through us. As his personal representatives, we say, Make your peace with God. The language here and the responsibility described makes me mindful of an image classic in the history of warfare. It's of a a pitched battle, or let's say a series of pitched battles, during which, at some point, a suggestion of truce arises. And then what happens? An individual, one solitary human being out of the mass, puts up a white flag, meaning, stop, lay down your arms. And then between the two armies, they venture forward. In between the lines to offer a message of peace. My friends, that is the spirit of our never-ending ambassadorship to ourselves completely to surrender, to put up our own white flag, and then to march out, carrying it as a banner of peace. It is the personal peace of Jesus we proclaim to all. It is already ours, and we want everyone to have it. Let's finish this section. For God caused Christ, who himself knew nothing of sin, actually to be sin for our sakes, so that in Christ we might be made good with the goodness of God. Or to put it another way, the Father offered up his Son, who had never done anything wrong in order to make it like we'd never done anything wrong. So that in Jesus, you and I might be made sons and daughters in union with our Father God. And if that isn't enough to grab you, well then, I want to introduce you to yourself and frankly to every human being who's ever lived. So here's the visceral part that I promised. I want you to imagine a man who is shaken awake at the loud sound of the door of his dungeon cell opening. And he's laying on the hard, cold, wet tile. Frankly, it's a filthy place. Urine, excrement, blood all over the cell. It's horrifying. And he's told to get up and to come with the commandant. And terrified that these are the last few moments of his life, he gets up, he's nearly naked, he's wearing just sort of a tunic that's just shreds, and there's pain even as he rises, in his joints on his back that has been whipped and scourged many, many times, he stands to his feet shakily, thinking, these are the last moments of my life, and he follows the commandant out into the hallway, and all he can hear are the early morning sounds and groans and cries of the other prisoners. (sighs) And he follows the commandant down the hallway, not even wanting to look to his right or to his left into the other cells. And they go up a flight of stairs, each step hurting in his joints. And as they come toward the courtyard where he's typically beaten, they do not turn in. They pass by it. In fact, he's going to a part of this uh, prison that he's never even seen. It's actually toward where the soldiers gather. And as he comes in, all of the soldiers in that space, having their breakfast, turn and look at him curiously. They eye him. And he doesn't know what this means. He thinks that this is perhaps preparatory to himself going to be killed But no, they take him through there and into a storage room and they hand him a fresh tunic. They tell him to dress quickly. He takes off the old one and puts on the new. Then he is led to somewhere that he cannot believe it's possible. He is being led toward the outer door, the outer gate toward the city streets. And the door is opened. And he's sort of roughly pushed out by the commandant. And as he stands there in the busy street of Jerusalem, in the fresh morning air, he has no idea what's going on. And he turns back to the commandant who's looking at him. And before he can even ask what it's all about, the commandant simply says Look up yonder. See, on the way up the hill there, look, look. Do you see that man carrying a cross? That is the one who took your place. If you're interested, you could go and see for yourself. Friends, as we begin our five episodes looking at the cross, I want to remind you that every single human being, including you, is Barabbas. You deserved what you had, and Jesus, not accepting it, took it for you. How does that make you feel? And how does that make you feel about every single person that you'll encounter this week? Thanks for listening.